0: This episode, Once Upon an Animated Time Lord, Fury from the Deep. and welcome to the Once Upon a Geek podcast, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. On today's episode, we are finding our joy by talking about Doctor Who, specifically the animated recreation of the classic 1968 episode, Fury from the Deep. Now, given this month is the 60th anniversary of Doctor Who's first airing on television, it seemed like a great opportunity to chat about something fun and a little timey-wimey. My name is the Irredeemable Shag, and I am your host, but this time I brought along a fellow classic Doctor Who fan, a fellow podcaster, and a gentleman who's also a fellow bald guy. Folks, please help me welcome to the show, Justin. How you doing, man? Thanks for being here.
1: Hey, I'm doing great.
0: I am so excited. We, uh, we met for the first time at Heroes Con just a few months ago. I think it's interesting. So Justin and I, we, we're just getting to know each other. We communicate. I'd say we chat online fairly often on, on different message boards or whatever. But the funny thing I find is that you and I seem to love a lot of the same things, but never agree on anything. <laughs> Would you say that's fair?
1: I would disagree with that. I think... (laughs) Of course you would. (laughs) I'm not trying to be contrary. I feel like we agree more than we disagree. We just kind of, like, take different paths. It's like, you take the left path, and I'll take the right path. But the paths converge eventually, like, back at the end. I don't know. That's how I see it.
0: That's fair. I just remember a, a very confrontational day with the discussion about Captain Jonathan Archer in the Zindi War... And uh, Uh,
1: he's wrong. (laughs) Yeah. And then Janeway lock her up. Yeah, okay. Yep, yep, yep. Anyway. That's all good fun, though.
0: So the exciting thing is, of course, is Doctor Who turned 60 this month. And so this episode is coming out in the middle of November. But November 23rd is the actual anniversary, uh, Doctor Who's 60th anniversary. And this is the second time Justin and I have recorded together this month. What, what, What did we record earlier this month, Justin?
1: The Abominable Snowman. Woo! And that is going to be found uh, where? You can find that wonderful episode, along with many others, on Fan Podcast, available where most podcasts can be found.
0: And the timey-wimey aspect of that is that we recorded that one first, but it's actually going to get released second. So if you're listening to these on releasing day, you're going to be a little freaked out because, you know, they're out of order. But so what? It's, it's Doctor Who. Live it, breathe it in, enjoy it, understand how it works. You should get that by now. Now, before we get too much further and get into the timey wiminess of it, we do need to take a second to thank our sponsors. Folks, this episode of Once Upon a Geek is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your best online source for comic book trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 42% off, uh, with free shipping on orders of $50 or more. In each each episode, I select a uh, comic book collected edition to briefly discuss from the InStockTrades library, and usually it's tied in the discussion in some way, shape, or form, and this one absolutely is. I picked Doctor Who, Prisoner of Time trade paperback, which is kind of cool, because that was actually released for Doctor Who's 50th anniversary celebration. Did you ever read this comic, Justin?
1: I have, and I liked it. And
0: you know, the the first time I read it, I wasn't too sure. I was like, I don't know, and I kind of set it aside and waited a long time to go back to it, and the second time, when I finally was like, all right, I'm going to sit down and read it, I loved this thing. So the the whole premise is, it's a 12-issue miniseries, and every issue featured a different Doctor. So the first issue one featured the first Doctor, and he dealt with the Zarbi. Second issue was the second Doctor, third issue, and so on. And then uh, at that point, though, we only had 11 Doctors, so I can't remember what happened on the 12th issue. Must have been a big way to wrap up the story, probably. I don't recall exactly. But, folks, uh, you can find this thing on In Stock Trades right now. It is a blast. It's written by Scott Tipton and his brother, David Tipton. Lots of different artists involved. The cover's by Francesco uh, Francavilla. It is 336 pages, full cover, soft cover. It normally goes for $24.99, but you can get it 25% off right now, so it's only $18.74. And, again, it came out to celebrate the fifth. 50th anniversary, but it's a great way to celebrate the 60th anniversary as well. So that's Doctor Who, Prisoners of Time. Now, uh, remember, folks, for these and all your other comic book trade paperback needs, please visit InStockTrades.com. Now, this episode is also sponsored in part with your Patreon support, because, you know, running the Fire & Water Podcast Network with so many shows, it requires a lot of online hosting and services, and a, a while back, we realized we needed some help with the expenses, so we launched the Patreon, and you folks really stepped up to help keep the network going. So if you're enjoying shows on the network, the best way to support us is by visiting our Patreon, which is patreon.com fwpodcast. And while you're there, please consider supporting the network, and at certain tiers, you get mentioned on your favorite. Shows this episode. Special thanks go out to Gord Tolton and David Ace Gutierrez. Again, please visit our Patreon at patreoncom podcast. Now we need to hear your thoughts on this, folks. Now you may not have seen Free from the Deep*, and that's okay. In fact, I hadn't until this week. But you may be a fan of Patrick Trout and Doctor Who, or really old Doctor Who, or you have thoughts on the missing episodes. We want to hear. You know, who's your favorite Doctor? What do you think of the animated recreations? Any of that stuff? So go out on the social media, and that's uh, the best way to be part of the conversation. Is on our website. In the comments section, you can go there, which is firewaterpodcast.comslash once upon a geek. Leave your thoughts there, and they will get read on a future episode of the show. But you can find us on other social media like on Twitter and Blue Sky as Once Upon a Geek or on Facebook and Instagram as Once Upon a Geek Podcast. So again, share your thoughts on the website, and I'll be reading portions of those uh, on every fifth episode of Once Upon a Geek. This one happens to be the 16th episode, so you got a little time until the 20th, but leave your comments in the feedback section. So Justin, this is where i got to ask you about your Whovianism. I just made that word up. So sir, what's your personal origin story with Doctor Who? Like, How would you find it? When did you fall in love with it? What's, what's the deal?
1: There's many twists and turns here. Like, I have a vague memory of being a little kid, six maybe, and I know now what it was. It was uh, the androids of Terra. The only thing I really remember is the fourth doctor, Romana, and Canine. They were in a boat, and Canine got wet, and that's the only thing I ever remember. (laughs) And. I don't know why, but I never watched any more classic Doctor Who and I think that's weird because it aired on my local PBS station Mm -hmm. and I grew up watching like tons of science fiction stuff. Like if it was sci-fi, I gave it a try. Like, you know, Star Trek, Space 1999, Lost in Space, Twilight Zone, Our Limits, On and On and On, Dark Shadows, like anything that was even remotely sci-fi, fantasy or weird, like I gave it a try. I don't know why Doctor Who didn't hook me then. I I don't know. I, I can't explain it, but something about it must have threw me off. After that, I kind of didn't think about Doctor Who until I saw commercials for the movie that aired on Fox. Ooh. And I was like, ooh, this Doctor Who thing. Like, maybe maybe this will be my gateway drug. And I watched it, and I was like, I, I don't know what happened. <gasps> what? Uh, I don't know. It just seemed really... Bizarre. And like I said, I watched a lot of sci fi, but I found some of the time travel aspects where, like, temporal orbit, I was like, what's a temporal orbit? <laughs> Know. And then some of the other stuff, like I had no familiarity with like the Master or any of that. So I'm like, this feels like I've not even scratched the surface of this Doctor Who stuff. What did you think of Paul McGann, though? Uh, he was cool. I liked him and I liked um his companion, you know, the one he kissed. And apparently that like melted people's brains. Oh, my yeah. gosh, it did. Yeah. Yeah. After that, like, I didn't really pay attention to Doctor Who, the guy that runs my local comic book shop. Any, anytime I went in to get my comics, he would be like, oh, dude, did you did you watch Doctor Who last night? And I'm like, no, man, I don't watch that. And that's the conversation we had like every, every <laughs> Wednesday or Saturday. I'm like, dude, I don't watch Doctor Who. But like, he was a cool guy. We had a lot of similar interests. And I was like, okay, well, if he likes it, then maybe I should give it a try. So early 2008, I think it was spring 2008, I just kind of stumbled upon some ninth and tenth Doctor episodes and started watching it. And I was like, you know, this thing half bad. I think the one that got me, what's the one where the ninth Doctor meets, uh, the one where he meets uh, Charles Dickens? And oh, yeah, um, Unquiet Dead. Yes, that's the one that got me. I was like, ooh, I like history. I like literature. And I was like, oh, man, this has got, like, so many things that I like in it. This this is pretty cool. And then after that, the next one I watched was Dalek. And I was like, oh, I like this. And yeah. I, I just kept watching from there. And from then on, I was hooked. And I think in about 2009 was when I discovered, uh, like, uh, a nefarious pirate outlaw website where I could freely <laughs> – Free of charge, watch classic Doctor Who, everything, and that's what got me hooked. I was like, "Man, this black and white stuff, this is really great." Like, I liked all the classic stuff, and I, I, I jumped around. I'm like, "Ooh, like, what's, what's this, and what's that?" And then I'm about positive. This episode we're discussing, "Fury from the Deep." I'm, I'm about positive. This is how I discovered that stuff didn't exist. Like, it only uh... existed as, as telesnaps or reconstructions because. I like anything to do with the ocean, like especially like naval battles or shipwrecks or Atlantis. So I was like, Doctor Who, Fury from the Deep okay, so what, the doctor's underwater, they're doing an Atlantis thing? Just the title alone had my interest. So I click on it, and I'm watching it. This is just pictures. Like, what's going on? And you see, like, (laughs) telestats of, like, the TARDIS. It's in the air, then it lands on the surface of the water, and then they're in the boat, and then they go to the pipe. Is this whole thing just uh, freaking pictures and narration and text? And then I discovered, like, the TARDIS wiki. Wait, you mean they deleted their own stuff? That's crazy. Why why would Mm -hmm. they do this? And I, I spent, like, two hours like reading up on the subject and I found that fascinating that the show that's been around for so long, there was stuff that didn't exist. You had a whole entire stories that didn't exist or you would have the 10th planet. Episode four is the only one that doesn't exist. And you're just I'm like, wait a minute. This is where the doctor regenerates for the first time and it's missing. It doesn't exist. There's no footage. I'm like, holy cow. Like, I, I was just fascinated by all that stuff.
0: And it really is mind blowing. And for those of you at home who don't know the details of it. Yeah. So they in the 60s and 70s, they just got rid of old films of Doctor Who. They had a storage room room, and they just started cleaning it out and got rid of it, and there's a bunch of episodes that just, there's like 97 episodes that just don't exist anymore. And so, as Justin was saying, what they do is they have all these photographs that were taken on set, and they create telesnaps where they they basically they have the audio, because some kid recorded it at home, so they have the audio, but they'll just show a static picture, and it's like, it's a struggle to get through. I don't want to I don't want to dwell too much on the telesnaps, because we spent a lot of time talking about that over on the Fan Holes episode, you guys can hear later this month, so uh, there's a lot to be said about telesnaps. But yeah, it's bizarre. These things are missing. So, And I find it fascinating, too, that you made the leap from New Who to Classic Who, because not a lot of people have done that successfully. You know, They'll watch David Tennant run around. They'll watch Matt Smith, whatever. Then they try and go back and watch the old stuff. They're like, oh, that's not for me. But it sounds to me, am I right in saying that you actually have more passion for the old stuff than the new stuff? Is that fair to say?
1: Uh, That's totally fair and very accurate. I I don't know. Maybe it's my love of just old TV shows. When I was a kid in the 80s, like most of the TV shows I... I was watching. I didn't know it, but they were already, like, 20 years old. Like, (laughs) Star Trek, Adam West, West, Batman. Before the Tim Burton movie came out, I was like, yeah, Adam West is Batman. Like, I thought this was something that was, you know, currently being made. I was like, yeah, Batman's great. I I had no idea. Like, Gilligan's Island, I had no idea these shows were, like, already 20 years old. I, I, I think watching a lot of that stuff as a kid skewed me to where, like, if it's an older TV show, I'm like, oh, what's this? Oh, that girl. What's that girl about? Oh, it's some wacky comedy about this chick, she wants to be an actress and she's in New York and wacky shenanigans and sue, you know, episode to episode. I don't know, like I just have a lot of love and appreciation for older TV shows and especially the older Doctor Who. And it's funny you mentioned like a lot of fans, you know, they they come to Doctor Who Maybe because uh, David Tennant or Matt Smith, they have a a crush on him. I kind of – how do I put this? Without being, like, tacky and lewd and lascivious. Basically, I met this girl. I was wearing a second doctor T-shirt. and I had heard about this girl. It's like my friend worked with her. Oh, you got to meet this girl. You know, she's cute. She's curvy. She's a redhead. And I was like, ooh, redhead. She likes that weird show you like about the doctor question mark man. And I was like (laughs) – Doctor Who? Yeah, yeah, she likes that. I was like, ooh, a girl that likes Doctor Who. I meet her for the first time. I'm wearing a second Doctor T-shirt. That immediately gets her attention. She's like, oh, you like Doctor Who? Yeah, I like Doctor Who. I like Doctor Who, too. And I'm talking to her, and she came to Doctor Who because she thought David Tennant was cute. Sure. And she stayed because she thought Matt Smith was cute. Okay. And this was like right before – Night of the Doctor, Day of the Doctor, Name of the Doctor, like right around that time period. Like all this stuff was about to come out. Mm -hmm. So we were talking about all that. Long story short, uh, I ended up getting laid because I was wearing a second Doctor That but She is... had she had no interest in Classic Doctor. She was like, oh yeah, that's one of the old Doctors. I was like, yeah, you ever watch any of that stuff? Oh no, that stuff just seems like so lame and like cheap. And I was like, oh. <laughs> I wasn't crushed, but I was like, oh man, I thought this girl was perfect. Well, like, there were weird gaps. I mean, for one thing, there was like a eight or nine year age gap between us. There was weird stuff too. It's like she had never ever watched The X-Files or The Simpsons. And I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? Like The Simpsons has <laughs> been been around for 30 years, you've never seen one episode. Are you kidding me? What's wrong with you? But
0: anyway, opposites attract, my friend. Opposites attract that's 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 the real like my wife has no tolerance for any of this stuff. I mean, she'll sit in the room and play on her iPad while I'm watching, you know, uh, Abominable Snowman, and then she'll be like, I wish that girl would shut up on screen, you know, sort of thing. But uh, but for the most part, she has no interest in it whatsoever. So I totally get that, and it, it can still work, it can still work if there's no interest. But I'm so glad that a t shirt of Patrick. And got you to uh, have a relationship with a young lady. That's awesome. That is incredible. That's, uh, that's one for the record books, buddy.
1: <laughs> so, <laughs> no, I don't want to brag or anything. But, but so, I will tell it on a podcast.
0: Apparently so. So who is your favorite doctor and why?
1: Uh, the second doctor because I was wearing his t-shirt. I only have – got- <laughs> I know you have like probably multiple Doctor Who t-shirts. I know you have an eighth Doctor t-shirt and I was like, ooh, I have the second and fifth Doctor shirt mm-hmm. from like that era because like I got those at Hot Topic yes. and I felt like such a I don't know, weird out of place old man going into Hot Topic and be- because I knew they had lots of Doctor Who stuff and I was like, ooh, I want to get, uh, do they have a second Doctor shirt in my size? Ah, oh, yeah they do. And I was going to get a first Doctor but it was like, they only had like medium and I was like, I don't think I can pull that off anymore. <laughs> so, so, I got a second doctor and a fifth doctor t-shirt and i have a 13th doctor t-shirt but nice. anyway, uh yeah second doctor he's the one i gravitate towards the most I really like the first Doctor a lot, too, but second, and I like the fifth a lot, and I also have a great fondness for the seventh Doctor, but mostly like his later two seasons, not so much his first like series.
0: That is absolutely fair. So I, I, I know this is your segment, but I'll just share real quickly. I compartmentalize. I cheat when it comes to my favorite Doctor. So I compartmentalize with Classic Who and New Who because – I Like, in the new Who, it's David Tennant, hands down. I just love his performance the Doctor. And I know there's a lot of people that get real passionate about who your favorite Doctor is. It's kind of like, do you like Picard or Kirk kind of, uh, you know, passion level. But it, Tennant's my favorite there. For classic Who, it's Peter Davison because he was the Doctor when I started watching the show. However on any given day, it, you know, Patrick Troughton is right there chasing right at his heels. You know, it's like, it, it, am I more likely to watch one or the other? Who knows? It's a, it's a coin flip. Now, in the reality though, those, my absolute favorite is stuck in the middle is Paul McGann, but he doesn't fall in classic or new who. So I get to say he's, he kind of stands by himself. I, I, the TV movie, I totally see the flaws, but I've also spent however many years invested in the, the, the expanded universe, the novels, the comics, the audios, everything. I, he's, He's my absolute favorite. But Troughton is way, way, way high in the list, and I love his stuff. And I have since I was a kid. Like When I first started watching Classic Who, Troughton's stuff immediately fascinated me because he had the monster seasons, right? He had so many episodes with the greatest monsters. So I, I just love it. So speaking of which, who are your favorite monsters or villains from Doctor Who?
1: Overall, I would be the Cybermen. I, I think they're great. And I can remember the first time I ever heard about the Cybermen. I was at a comic book convention in Knoxville, Tennessee. And I, there was these two guys behind me. They were like looking at some books or something. I wasn't really – I wasn't trying to eavesdrop or anything, but they, they were talking about the Borg. Mm. And I, I think this was the summer like of the great Best of Both Worlds Part 1 cliffhanger. I think oh, it was yeah. then. And they were like, yeah, those Borg are pretty cool, but they can't hold a candle to the Cyberman. And I was like, "Uh, what's this? I didn't ask them because I'm like too, I don't know, introverted and too shy to talk to strangers like that. (laughs) But even even if they're fellow travelers, I'm a little bit better about that now. But anyway, I was like in my head, I'm like, what's a Cyberman? And for a long time, I had no idea what that was until I started like, you know, kind of digging into it. But yeah, it's a Cyberman. I I think the Daleks are fine. But for me, it's it's, it's got to be the Cyberman. Like anytime they show up, you've got my attention. And I, I tell this to you, like even stuff like Attack of the Cyberman, I'm like, it's fine. It's okay. I know people hate it, whatever. It, it's it's fine. It's I'm just, To me, it's like, it's cool. It's the Cyberman and they're fighting the Doctor. Like it's got to be great. But I think, I, I don't know, maybe it gets into that whole territory of like, well the Borg were cool and then they showed up every week on Voyager and they got diminished maybe there's a little bit of that for the Daleks you know in my opinion but not not the Cybermen I I think well, maybe some of the Cyber Lord stuff they did with like the 13th Doctor, maybe that kind of tarnishes them a little bit, but still I'm like, oh, it's a Cyberman. Like, this is going to be great.
0: And it, there's nothing wrong with loving an episode that no one else likes. I mean, if someone came on my show and said that Time Lash is their favorite Doctor of all time, I'd be like, <laughs> good. Power to you, man. I'm not there with you, but good for yeah. you. Like, so, oh, you-
1: I really love the Gunfighters. Oh, really? I mean, that's great for you. Like, they, they, you know, that song totally doesn't make me want to slit my ribs.
0: I will say right now... I I totally love the gunfighters, by the way. But anyway, <laughs> oh, folks, if they find that one on BritBox, it just it will blow your mind. Anyway, um, I agree too. The Cybermen got like I I prefer Cybermen over Daleks every day. But they, uh, yeah, in the new Who, I do feel like they've drifted from what makes the Cybermen the best. But anyway, it's not about me; it's about you. So, your favorite companion? Who's your favorite companion? Any era?
1: Oh man. It's probably got to be Jamie. It's mm. it's either Jamie or Amy. Like, I really like Amy.
0: So, I said earlier that we don't agree on anything, but we keep coming up on a lot of similar things, buddy. <laughs> I told you. I told you. It's just weird. We'll start arguing in a minute, I'm sure. So, favorite episode? Any era.
1: Oh, any era? Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. If it's classic, I'm going to go with The Invasion, because I think it's great. Mm. It doesn't overstay its welcome. I feel like... I feel like the doctor Jamie and Zoe have enough to do overall because sometimes in Classic Who it's like, oh man, uh, Vicky or Victoria or Dodo, like they don't really have much to do in this story at all. They're just kind of there and they're screaming or whatever. Or Susan's uh, hurt her ankle for the twelfth time. <laughs> but like in- Invasion, I feel like they've they've each got a little something to do that adds to it. Like nobody's just kind of standing around. Like everyone has a little something to do in Invasion. I think Invasion is great uh, for. New Who?
0: <sighs> well, I was just going to say real quick. You, well, I'll give you a second to think. So for you folks at home, Invasion is great. It's an old Patrick Troughton episode. It's a second Doctor. As you said, Jamie and Zoe. It's also got the Brigadier. It's when they introduce Unit. So it's Brigadier's second appearance, but it's when they introduce Unit. It's Cybermen invading London. It is exceptional. It's a great one. Uh, one, ep- or one or two episodes are missing, I want to say, and they've animated those. Uh, it's really worth checking out if you haven't seen the Invasion, folks. All right. New Who, what's your favorite? <sighs>
1: Maybe The Girl in the Fireplace. I really like that one. Ooh,
0: that's a great one. That's a great one. So when he meets, um, oh my gosh, I'm blanking on her name, Marie Antoinette,
1: right? Madame de Pompadour. Madame de
0: Pompadour, right? Uh, Oh gosh, Okay. Sorry, sixty years worth of history. Trying to work around in my head. <laughs> See
1: what you do. What you do is you edit that out and you put yourself saying Madame de Pompadour in there, and no one knows.
0: Ah, I'll take the hit this time. <laughs> okay, that, I don't mind taking that hit. Other times, I I probably already edited out like six other things I've gotten wrong this time, but that one I'll take the hit on. <laughs> all right, so the next round of questions is for both of us. All right, and we're going to focus specifically on Patrick Trout. so we're talking about the second doctor here, folks. Uh, as they, when I was growing up. And all the guides, he was referred to as the Cosmic Hobo, is what they always called him. But anyway, uh, best Trouten episode. You may have already answered this. So uh, best Trouten episode, and we can be specific, best is different from favorite. So what is the best Trouten
1: episode? I think the best is Tomb of the Cybermen. You are correct, sir.
2: (laughs) Yay!
0: Do I win the big cash prize? You do. You do. You go home with one of these uh, giant Auton bobbleheads. Um, So, yeah, (laughs) Tomb of the Cybermen absolutely the same. It is is the best. And I can see if someone promoted it as their favorite, too, because it's really damn good. It's exceptional. Uh, So thank goodness they found that one. That was one of the ones that was missing for years, and they found it somewhere. And uh, we're all better off for having it. It's a great one. All right. So that was our – we both agreed on the best. So next is favorite Troughton episode. And you can cheat a little and give me more than one if you need to. But what is your favorite Troughton episode? Because I think we already know the answer.
1: Yeah, it's got to be Invasion. Yeah, yeah.
0: Do you have any more you want to throw in there? Because I'm going to name four because I'm that (laughs) that
1: bad. (laughs) (laughs) dirty cheater. Um – Ice Warriors, Web of Fear, yeah, Web of Fear. Web of Fear is great. I like Web of Fear a lot.
0: So Web of Fear is on my list as well. So Web of Fear is one with these Yeti, the Abominable Snowman. They're in the subway tunnels in London. It's the very first appearance of the Brigadier. It's a fantastic one. Uh, I love that one a lot. It's not my number one pick, but it, it's the, the runners up were Web of Fear, uh, Mind Robber. So Mind Robber is an episode where they go to what's called the Land of Fiction, and they're they in a in a no noscape, really. They're just in white space and they end up playing weird games. Jamie gets replaced for an episode with a different actor, but they make it work in the story. It is a total head trip. And, and, and all these fictional stories bleeding in. And part of the reason I love it so much is I sat my, I think, 10-year-old stepson down at the time. And he, he, I was watching it and he walked in the room and he sat down with me. And he sat there for all four parts, this black and white show that was 50 years old, and watched the whole thing. It was completely riveted. And that blew my mind that that show could keep, continue to rivet a kid in, in that year or so that my heart sings for Mind Robber. And then uh, do, you, do you have a passion for Mind Robber at all or is it out the door?
1: No, I like Madam Webber Car a bit. It's very creative. I it always makes me laugh when they mess up Jamie's face. Like that's 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 so funny. But it's also such a good like explanation for uh, Fraser Hines not being around for that episode. It's like, uh, what are we going to do? Oh, we just we'll mess up his face and then bring him back later when he comes back from vacation. Like that's so that's so that's such a creative solution to a real world real world problem for on set.
0: It really was. So like instead of where they do on the soap operas, we like today the part of Jamie McCredden will be played by. Instead they. Just- just came up with an in-story reason, which is brilliant. Uh, the, the last runner-up is War Games. So War Games was Trouton's last episode. It involves all these different uh, soldiers from different eras fighting each other. There's some kind of intrigue going on, like why are all these different time zones meeting? The, uh, we get introduced to the Time Lords for the very first time. They force him to regenerate. It's ten episodes long. so That's basically five hours. And I bought that thing on VHS when I was in high school. And I sat down with a buddy of mine who didn't like Doctor Who at all. It's not, I shouldn't say he didn't dislike it. He just had no interest in it. And I'm like, I just bought this, and we're going to watch it. And it's five hours long. Get a Coca-Cola. We're sitting here, you know, or whatever. And he sat there all five hours. And when he got over, he's like, that was really good. And that did not feel like five hours. And uh, I, I think War Games is exceptional.
1: As much as I like uh, watching the black and white era, like I've only seen War Games once. and. Ooh. The one time I watched it, like I wasn't that into it. I, okay. I, so whenever I sit down to rewatch, like some Trouton, I usually leave that one off the playlist. But it's been about, oh, geez, thirteen years since I watched it, so maybe I need to revisit it.
0: It's really good. It's really stinking good. And, it, and a lot of it is you just got to watch close. Like the everyone's facial expressions are just fantastic in it. There's, so, it may you forget. Like nowadays we feel like you know our generation's so much more suave and cool than smart. And everyone else back then, the old days, were stupid. No, they're not. They're just as. smart smart. smart and suave as we were, folks. They just didn't have iPhones or whatever. So you watch them and you watch the acting and you see everything going on and you're like, man, these people know what the hell they're doing. They're brilliant. So the winner, though, for me, for favorite is Moonbase, which is a Cyberman episode on the moon. It's when they redesigned the Cyberman for the, I guess it was the second appearance of the Cyberman. So you get a new look, they're on the moon, and I just, I, I think it's because I read the Target book over and over and over as a kid. So, and then I saw the two episodes that existed, and that was it for a long time. And then when they animated the remaining two episodes, I just, uh, it makes my heart sing. I don't think it's the best, but it's definitely my favorite of Trout and Stuff.
1: That's great. I, I think it's really great. I, I, I especially think it's great when. Polly is able to defeat Cyberman with a spray bottle like I I know people who who would think that like that's the lamest way to defeat a bad guy but I'm like no that's so brilliant like she shoots him with the spray bottle and the little foam comes out of their chest like that's I don't know that's so creative to me it's great
0: that that episode also gives us that line where a famous line they use from Doctor Who a lot where Tretton says there are some corners of the universe which have read the most terrible things things which act against everything that we believe in they must be fought and it's like, oh, it's a great line. Yeah,
1: that is a great line. All
0: right, so which is the best villain or creature created during the Troughton era? So so that means we can't count the Daleks or the Cybermen because they weren't created for him. So what's the best creature or villain created for the Troughton era?
1: I think it's the, uh, the Ice Warriors. I think they're pretty great. Are you reading my notes? Like
0: I purposely didn't share my answers with you in the Google Doc, and yet you're you're crushing it, man. Yeah, it's absolutely the Ice Warriors. They're fantastic.
1: Yeah. Anytime they show up, See, when I got back, when I got into New Who and continued watching it, I was like, man, are these are they going to ever bring back these Ice Warriors? Like the Ice Warriors and the Zygons these guys seem so cool, like, why can't they bring them back? When they showed up in the third Doctor's era, for mm-hmm. a few episodes, you know, Peladon, I was like, oh, it's the Ice Warriors, that's so cool. Even if they're part of some Federation thing, I'm like, ah, it's the Ice Warriors. So, when you got the Ice Warriors, live Doctor episode, uh, was it Cold War? I was yeah. like, ooh, an Ice Warrior on a submarine during the Cold War, that's so cool. And then you got, you know, uh, Capaldi, the, what was the name of that one? I think the, it was Empress, M- Mars.
0: Empress of Mars, I think it's what it's called, yeah.
1: Yeah, I was like, ooh, more Ice Warriors. So, I, you know, keep giving me keep giving me more Ice Warrior stuff, man.
0: Yeah. I mean they're they're kind of like Doctor Who's Klingons, I guess you could say, as far as the honor <laughs> and the war kind of stuff. Yeah. Because they can be good guys, they can be bad guys. It's They're they're great characters. They're really deep and layered, and they've done a lot of great expanded fiction with them, too. All right, so this is a a hard one. So, of the missing stories from the Troughton era, the ones that don't exist anymore, which do you wish still existed the most? Like, which one, if you could... And it could be any of them that, that are missing, even if they've been animated. Which one do you wish still existed the most?
1: Probably the Highlanders, just because Jamie's, like, you know, one of my favorite companions. And that's a reconstruction that I barely made it through you know some of them are <laughs> we talked about we've talked about this but some of them are easier to watch than others and I think that's one of those stories that it just does not lend itself well to telesnaps or loose can reconstruction. Like I I fell asleep three or four times. It's only four episodes, but I fell asleep so many times I'm just like, man, like why can't I stay awake? Like th- this is the introduction of Jamie. Like th- why? So I, I think this is the one I know, you know, someone is gonna probably gonna say, Oh, Power of the Daleks and all this other stuff like that'd be great. But for me, Thailanders is the one I would want.
0: Just so you folks are no, there's 14 different choices you could pick here. And Justin picked mine, so uh, Yay. and for me, it's of course it's Jamie. But really, for me, I like I like historicals, I, even, in the quasi, yeah. even the quasi, even the quasi historicals, like Quiet Undead, like you mentioned with the Charles Dickens. I like the historical ones, and, and there's just something they just. First of all, British television does a really good job with uh, re- yes. you know, yeah. creating period pieces. But so I really want to see the Enders for that reason. So since you picked that one, I'll use my fallback, uh, which is Wheel in Space. I would love to see Wheel in Space because it's Cybermen. It's Zoe. I don't know that it's probably the best story, but I w- I'd love to see the first Zoe story. I'd love to see Cybermen on a space station, which would be great. I'd be I'd be all for that. And get, you know, Cybermats, which is the little like squirrely robot things, and uh, yeah, I'd be I'd be I'd be I'd be good with that one.
1: Yeah, that would be a good one too. Like, I, I really like Zoe a lot. I think my favorite TARDIS team would be Second Doctor Jamie and Zoe. I think they've got like the best combination of like brains and bronze. So I would love to see like the first introduction of Zoe, whether it's whether it's recovered or animated or whatever. Like, give it to me.
0: I have a massive crush on on Zoe and Wendy Padbury. Oh. I met Wendy yeah. Padbury. I still have a massive crush on Wendy Padbury <laughs> even today. So
2: yeah.
0: Um. So anniversaries. You talked about you know two thousand thirteen. When you know, with all the anniversaries, so we're here. Here we are again, 60th anniversary, right? So, do you have uh, any previous experience with Doctor Who anniversaries?
1: Uh, just the 50th, I guess. I mean, I was pretty, I was pretty into Doctor Who by that time. I, I think I was starting to like uh, veg out a little bit, and I was getting my toe wet in like Big Fittish audios. I was reading a few comics. I think maybe I started to get a few novels because novels, I think, is an area where I have barely scratched the surface i've read maybe maybe 12 and that's probably pushing it i don't know yeah. like i i know there's so many out there and i've barely scratched the surface that's that's an area of dr who i would like to to expand and get more novels but like by the time the 50th anniversary came about you know i, I was pretty deep into my my fandom so i was pretty excited and when uh when that uh, night of the doctor dropped i was like oh, oh man like that blew my mind i was like oh man like mcgann's back even even if it's just for like a what that that's it's like a Eight minute, ten minute, little six thing minutes. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, oh man, it's it's so good. I, I loved it.
0: I lost my mind when the night of the doctor. A buddy of mine sent it to me. He sent it to me. He goes, go, get off the internet. Watch this right now because <laughs> none of us knew it was coming. It, it literally they, they dropped it on Paul McGann's birthday. They 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 dropped it because it was starting to leak that maybe he had done something. So like, screw it. Mm. We're just gonna let it go now. And so there was no build up to it. It just boom came out. I was in my kitchen. I was watching it. You know, someone sends me. So I'm watching. I click this link on my phone. I'm holding a mug of tea that I just made, and I hear Paul McGann say, I'm a doctor, but not the one you were expecting. I almost dropped my mug of tea, because I know his voice from Big Finish so well. I was like, oh, my, God, oh, oh, you know, my favorite doctor all of a sudden. And uh, I've watched that thing so many times. I could do an episode just on that, so I should stop. So, yeah, the, the 50th anniversary, all that buildup was awesome. Uh, for me, I uh, and thanks for asking by the way, I, uh, I, I've I I've i been a fan a long time folks going back to like 1983, it might have been even 1982, but definitely 1983 so I was there for the 20th when the Five Doctors came out, like I I remember we had a watch party in our town my buddy Stephen Kohler and John Stevenson and we watched, uh, we had a little party at one of their houses and watched the Five Doctors air on November 23rd we actually got it a day or two before England because they waited to air theirs on a Saturday and we got it on the actual day so we saw it before england believe it or not which is crazy so we got to see five doctors which blew my mind i loved that i bought the novelization i read it over and over and then the 30th anniversary comes around the show's not even on the air at that point but they made this documentary called 30 years in the tardis and then they eventually released that on vhs called more than 30 years in the tardis and that's actually my favorite doctor who clip show of all time i love watching that thing i'll still watch it from time to time 40th anniversary comes around, I was deep into, you know, the Doctor Who magazine, and the novels, and the audios, and everything, and I remember Big Finish did the Zagreya story, and that's when Scream of the Shalka came out, I don't know if you know what that is, um... That's when they decided they were going to animate Doctor Who for a while online with the new Doctor, and they hired... Um, Richard E. Grant? Thank you. Gosh, I couldn't remember. Yeah, they hired Richard E. Grant to be the Doctor, and he was the Doctor for about 15 minutes until <laughs> until they announced uh, Russell T. Davis was bringing Doctor Who back. So that, that was exciting for the 40th. And then, of course, the, the 50th, I was all in for all of that, right? And then uh, Day of the Doctor, I actually went in the theater, saw it in 3D. Uh, it was actually the second time I'd seen it at that point. I watched it at home the day it aired, and then like the Monday or something when they showed it in the theater. I went and saw it in the theater, uh, and it was just so exciting to be part of that. Just what a time to be a fan! The 60th is going to be a lot more low key. I mean, it's not as big as the 50th, and the show's not as popular as it was. But still, I'm excited about the 60s. What about you? Is anything about the 60th you got excited? It's
1: exciting you. Well, it's uh, we've had like what a year drought of no new Doctor Who stuff. So that that always bums me out whenever there's like a year or mm-hmm. more of a drought. So just getting like more, you know, more Doctor Who is fine. I I feel like I've been kind of like. Bumping myself up with enthusiasm because I feel like I've been waiting on the 60th stuff to arrive. I'm that's why I've been like rewatching some classic Doctor Who. Like I sat down and rewatched most of the Fifth Doctor stuff slowly from like I think I started when I got back from Heroes Con and I finished last month maybe. Okay. And then I've been like trying to catch up on some of these uh, big finished audio stuff. I don't know if you've been listening to it, but I've been listening to the like Once Upon a Time Lord thing or, that they're doing. Once, now, it,
0: once in future or whatever it's called. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, where he's, like, degenerating into mm-hmm. different uh, incarnations. Like, I think I'm on the fourth one, but I'm I'm slowly working my way through those, and I enjoy that.
0: I'm doing the same thing. I've, I've gotten mixed feelings on all of it. Like, because, I I mean, I own, good God, I don't know, probably 500 Big Finish by this point. So, like, I can afford to be a snob of it and be like, well, you know, <laughs> I like this one from 1999, you know, whatever. I mean, just being a total <laughs> spoiled prick about it. So, I mean, I, some of it I absolutely love. Some of it I'm not as out on. But it's exciting regardless that they're doing it, right? That they're doing this giant big crossover, which is super fun. So for me, you talk about diving back into the old stuff, right? Like I've been reading a lot of Doctor Who books this year to kind of get myself excited. And, and I do that typically anyway, but that's part of the excitement. Then uh, you mentioned going back and watching old stuff. So I specifically went and watched The Celestial Toymaker, which is so that if you guys don't know, in the 60th anniversary, Neil Patrick Harris is playing the Toymaker, a character from the 60, I don't know what, 1966 or something like that. And so I went back and watched Celestial Toymaker, which the first three episodes don't exist. So you got to watch Telesnaps. So I only fell asleep like eight times. The first episode, you can find some dude animated it himself online, and it's really good, actually. So I watched the animated first episode, Telesnaps for the next two, and then watched the final episode, which exists. And so because I wanted to learn more about the Toymaker because I hadn't really experienced all that. And I've been listening to the Big Finish toy maker store stuff they've done, like Nightmare Fair, and then they did one with Charlie Pollard, uh, so just been trying to get excited about that. And then, uh, you know, the the commercial show Beep the Meep, right, the little cute stuffed animal looking guy, and he's from the comics in the old days, and I love those old comic strips and Marvel collected comics from the 1980s so much, so I, like, I know where the story's going, but at the same time, I wonder if Russell T. Davies is going to throw us a curveball, like, you know, uh, just it's so exciting. And, of course, Tenet. He's my favorite New Who guy, so I'm very excited. And I think Donna's amazing, so I'm so glad to see them together again. That's going to be a total blast. I'm I'm actually a little sad it's only three episodes because it's going to be so good.
1: I feel like Donna is definitely a character that exists in Doctor Who, and that's all I'm going to say.
0: Uh oh! Oh no! See, this is where I uh, <laughs> This is where uh, we we love different things. It, the same stuff at different at the same time. And on that note, folks, what we're going to do here is we're going to take a quick podcast promo break. I'm going to go beat the shaz out of Justin, and then when we come back, we're going to talk about Fury from the Deep.
2: Once upon a time, five friends who met on the Bot Talk Transformers forum set out to develop a podcast dedicated to their various interests. Transformers, science fiction, fantasy, and comic books. Part fanboys and part assholes, they came to be known as the Fanholes. Their unbridled enthusiasm for podcasting did not end there, and soon enough, their proper podcast spun off into the Fanholes network of podcasts. Besides our podcast proper, the Fanhole soon had a continuum of genre-specific, focused shows such as Mobile Suit Mondays, Transformers Tuesdays, Toku Thursdays, and Sentai Saturdays. New weekly content can be found on Podbean, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and FanholesPodcast.blogspot.com. Fanholes Podcast: The pop culture podcast made for the fans by the fans.
3: mother i feel sick send for the doctor quick 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 hey gang it's mark from the social distance warrior podcast with everything that's going on right now don't you wish you could just get away from it all like far away it's the year five billion and 23 we're in the galaxy m87 yeah i think that's far enough well then tune into the Straight Out of Gallifrey podcast on the Rhino On Network. It's just what the doctor ordered.
0: Well, I suggest before we go outside and explore, let us clean ourselves out.
3: See, he gets it. And by he, I mean you. Uh, you know what I mean. I am he, and he is me.
1: We are all together, go Goo Kichu.
3: Exactly. On Straight Out of Gallifrey, they'll cover every iteration of that Time Lord. You may be a doctor. But I'm the Doctor. In addition to every other Time Lord in the Doctor Who universe. So tune in and escape into the world of Doctor Who. The human race moves on, but so do the viruses. It's an ongoing war. Uh, a little more upbeat, please. Leaving is good. Never coming back is better. That's more like it. Check out Straight of Gallifrey on Rionnetwork.com and follow us on Twitter at SoGallifrey.
0: Alright folks, so to start us off, I'm going to do a quick recap of the Fury from the Deep story, because you may never have seen the episode, uh, and of course there's going to be spoilers at this point, but again, it's from 1968, I, it's not like it's breaking news. Now, for me, I actually hadn't seen this one till just this week, so, it, you know, giving the recap, I totally get again if you haven't seen it. So here we go. So the TARDIS lands on the English coastline, somewhere in the like, mid to late 20th century. So the second Doctor and Jamie and Victoria, they begin investigating the strange noise they're hearing within these massive pipes on this beach. Well, then suddenly they are shot with tranquilizer darts and taken prisoner by security guards because they have arrived in the restricted area of the Euro Sea gas refinery. I know, shocker, the doctor who shows up somewhere and gets captured. Never happens. So then, at the refinery base, the doctor learns that there have been a number of unexplained problems with the pressure in the feed pipes from the offshore drilling rigs and strange sounds reverberating through the pipeline. Uh, it's later revealed that one of the rigs has sucked up this strange form of seaweed, which seems to be sentient and dangerous. It's a capable of taking control of human minds, of those it touches. So the weed spreads rapidly, and it seems to be set on establishing this huge colony centered uh, around the rigs at sea, and eventually attacks the refinery on the coast where our heroes are located. The doctor makes the discovery that their weed creatures are very susceptible to high-pitched noises. Specifically, Victoria screaming, by the way. So, therefore, he's able to use the amplified sound of her screaming to destroy the weeds. And uh, after winning the day, Victoria decides to leave the TARDIS crew after too many dangerous adventures and stays behind with the family of one of the refinery scientists. So, the doctor and Jamie sh- share a sad farewell with Victoria and then leave in the TARDIS to their next adventure. So that's the big picture uh, of the whole thing. The bad guy is a big clump of seaweed uh, and, and and a foam party. So uh, what would you think of this one, man? I liked it. Yeah? Okay. That's good. All right. Me too. So where did you first experience Fury from the Deep? Did you first experience with Telesnaps, a novel, audio adaptation, animated? Like, where did you first come across it?
1: It was the uh, Telesnap reconstruction. And I think I watched this. I was trapped at a friend's house during a snowstorm. Uh, me and my old roommate, we went to see another friend. And they were playing some Xbox thing, and I wasn't interested in. So I just kind of sat on his couch and watched some classic Doctor Who. And then about two in the morning, I was like, "Oh yeah, we were supposed to have like a really bad snowstorm." And I went and looked out the front door, and yep, there's I don't know at least a foot of snow on the ground. And I was like, "Hey guys, guess what? Uh, we're stuck here. We're not we're not going to be making making it home tonight at all. Maybe not even tomorrow morning." So I went back, sat on the couch, and watched Doctor Who until I don't know noon maybe when they finally, like <laughs> cleared off the snow like I, I i was like in full zombie mode i was like more doctor who, more doctor who. <laughs> and and like i said i'm about positive this is how i learned about the missing episodes so i probably spent you know an hour or more learning about that but yeah like i i think i did end up watching most of that during that snowstorm i think after my initial shock like i went back and watched some of it and then i was like Uh, This isn't really doing it for me. And then I think I jumped to something else. But before, you know, before that storm ended and I got to leave, I think I did go back and I finished watching uh, this. So that was my first experience during a snowstorm.
0: You know, that's one of the benefits of coming to Doctor Who after the advent of, like, smartphones and stuff, is that every question you have is at your fingertips. You can sit there and watch the telesnaps in your – you know, on your phone, whatever. You know, me in 1983, I'm like I, – I, I had to, like – you couldn't look at encyclopedias. I mean, they're not going to have Doctor Who crap. So I had to <laughs> read, like, the and Times, which is the Doctor Who Fan Club of America newspaper, and try and piece together what I could or listen mm. to them on PBS pledge breaks or whatever. So <laughs> I am jealous from that regard. For me, um, uh, on this one, I did not watch the telesnaps on this one. I, I have trouble staying awake during any of the telesnaps. I can't um, – I really can't do it. I, I just It's not part of me. Again, go to Fan Holes. We had a lot of talk about telesnaps. For me, the mm-hmm. first time I ex- really experienced this was a, was an audio adaptation they did. Like BBC actually took the audio from this thing because, again, a lot of the audio exists. And they would like – they'd stick in like narration You know where you'd hear – I can't remember who narrated that one. But you'd have the narrator come in like, you know, Jamie struggles with the seaweed or something like that, or they run from this crawling foam, or whatever it was, and so I listened to that, and I really dug it, because, I mean, it was kind of like listening to a big finish, you know, you got all the actors talking, you've got this, so I listened to that, and, and I owned the, I owned the Target book from, like, when I was a kid, I'm pretty sure, I never read it, though, for some reason, so yeah, it was, it was the audio, and then watching this this week, and I, like you, I really enjoyed this, I thought this one was really stinking good.
1: How many times did you fall asleep? Uh,
0: twice. But that's—it's <laughs> not the fault of the story. I'm okay. Long, okay. I, I keep starting these stupid things at ten o'clock at night, which is not what you should do when you're my age. <laughs> and and they are animated, and it is flash animation. It's not as bad as South Park, but I mean, there's there's a little bit of that going on. So it's uh anyway. I should never watch them and I today I watched it during the day, and I was fine. So there we go. So it's you know it's a typical what we call in Doctor Who base under siege story where like they're in one location that's constantly under attack and how they the, how they survive it you know it's one of the one of the things it's most famous for it's the first appearance of the Sonic Screwdriver which is super exciting right I mean all it does is unscrew a couple bolts but that's okay you know and and so tell me some things that you really liked about this episode
1: I like the setting just the I mean I know it's a base under siege but this whole like. Gas thing and they're they're going in like the little they go into like the little pod they go further into the base to look for um uh what's his name van lutens who's disappeared sometimes they get stuck in like two or three locations and it really wears thin Mm -hmm. like i don't think this one wore thin with me at all because it starts out on the beach And we do we do get to go back to the beach a couple of different times. And then inside the base, you know, you're in the control room or you're in a hallway or you're deep within the bowels of the space. And the animation really makes it feel like this enormous complex with all these giant, you know, heavy pressure doors and all kinds of, you know, whatever the you know, the impaler, like whatever that is. Like it sounds great and terrible and terrifying and all this stuff. And I really like where they've got the little you can kind of see like the gas chamber and then of course they have to show like the little seaweed like kind of Crawling through that, and then the doctor's like, "It's the War of the Giants," or whatever he <laughs> says. Like that, that doesn't make any sense. He's like, "It's they're here. It's the invasion has started. It's the War of the Giants." And then it's the cliffhanger, and I'm like, "But what does that mean, doctor? Like they're not they're not giants, Like right. I don't I don't really get that, but but yeah, like this one, I didn't fall asleep, and it didn't wear thin at all. Like I felt the, the they varied up the locations and everything, and just enough. You've got some exciting stuff like the helicopter thing, which I don't know if you want to get into it now, but. And I'm like I I don't remember the giant tentacles during the helicopter chase. I think I think they added that in. I think they fudged a few things.
0: Yeah, so in there, the doctor flies a helicopter to get away from the from the dangerous oil rig- or not oil rig but gas rig to get back to this the land. Yeah, and the animation you and I watch, there's like these giant you know kaiju level tentacles, <laughs> star road kind of tentacles bursting out of the yeah. water, and the doctor's like Wah, flying around him. It's pretty exciting. But then yeah, when you read online, they're like okay yeah that none of that was in the actual show. We just put that in. There for the animation. And you're like, okay, I'm okay with that. I don't mind that change. I like it. <laughs>
1: yeah. And then um, I think there are two really nice uh, scenes in this. Like, and uh, it, it goes back to something we discussed on the fan holes. You know, I kind of lamented, like, the limitations of animation, you don't really get like the full performance of the actors, especially Trouton, Cause I feel like a lot of his acting is in his face. But at the beginning of this episode, when they're, when the Dr. Jamie and Victoria are having fun and playing in the foam, mm-hmm. like I think they went a little extra mile there and they gave you some really nice, like animated reactions, whether it's just the, whether it's just them laughing or any, or whatever they're doing. Like, I was like, Oh, that's really kind of nice. Like it, it's such a shame that that, that scene is missing because you can just picture in your mind, like what that would have been like, even, you know, black and white or whatever. And they're just kind of playing with some foam on the beach, but, but the animation really sells it. And I thought they did a good job capturing their facial reactions in that scene.
0: I just want to address that real quickly. I totally agree. The beach foam scene was a lot of fun with her playing with the seafoam. And the, I was reading today, apparently that scene's not in the original script. So I guess they improv oh. that or something. Okay. I don't know. Or, or maybe the shooting, yeah. maybe the director did. I don't know, but that makes it that much more special to, me and and, and when I want to address sort of like what you're saying about the animation versus reality which is when we covered Abominable Snowman like my biggest complaint there was all these long static shots where you'd have like a room and everyone moves around on there for like two or three minutes but the camera never moves so it just feels kind of static, whereas here I noticed very purposely they do do a lot of camera movement in this one. You get zoom-ins, you get close-ups, you get wobbly cameras and stuff like that at different points on purpose when people aren't feeling well. I mean, really did a lot more with the camera work, which is kind of shocking to me, because this was actually made two years before the Abominable Snowman uh, animation. So this is actually an earlier one, and yet I think they did a better job.
1: Yeah, I agree. The other scene I like is the whole um, Farewell Victoria scene. And it, it kind of comes in little spurts. You know, it's like, oh, Jamie and Victoria have a little talk. And then I like the way it's animated. And I appreciate that it's it feels very understated like if this were a modern companion farewell it would be overblown and swelling music and they would really hold on them and there would be lots of tears and everything and and victoria does cry but i don't know i I just kind of appreciate it's i think they want the viewer to project their own emotions onto the actors in this scene and it's it's very sweet especially jamie and victoria and I don't know if their intent was they wanted the viewer to feel like there could have been romance between Jamie and Victoria, but I don't know. I kind of... I kind of appreciate that that's a layer that the viewer can choose for themselves. You know, they they play it off as very sweet and affectionate. You know, like when Jamie kisses Victoria on the forehead, like it feels very sweet and tender, but it doesn't feel like overly romantic. And then uh, when they say their final farewell on the beach, it's this, you know, long shot of everyone standing on the beach and it's from far away. And you can see again, you know, Jamie and Victoria – share a hug and he kisses her again on the forehead and then jamie and the doctor get in the raft and paddle away and then they get into the tardis and and basically the doctors what the doctor says he's like oh i was fond of her too you know and it's like the end Mm -hmm. but i i I just like that it's so understated and i don't know if it was written that way i don't know if it's a product of its time where they didn't want to be overly emotional and involved in everything like it is now but I, I don't know. I I just appreciate that so much. I don't know how you feel about that.
0: Actually, I'm right there with you. I thought it was really, really well done, and I think you are supposed to feel. I think I think Jamie's in love with her. I think Jamie. You think so? Yeah, I think Jamie okay. loves Victoria, and it, and it's either it's not returned or they just didn't have the courage to tell each other. But I think he loves her, and without I, I'm not spoiling anything. But if you watch the new Tales of the TARDIS stuff guys yes. that just came out. All I'll say is there's, I feel like there's something in there to support my argument. But anyway. I, um, I would agree with you. Yeah. And I got I hear I got a question for you. I'm going to put you on the spot. Since you're a lot more familiar with Hartnell and, and some of the stuff than I am, I think, I think this is the first sad companion departure. Uh, and you got to tell me if I'm right or wrong. Like, Susan's was not very sad. It was more like, you're out of the nest. Grow the hell up. <laughs> She's know?
1: like, woo, I'm going to go get laid. Yay. Right.
0: <laughs> Ian and Barbara was, like, happy. They're like, wee.
1: Back in London, finally
0: you know? we're back. Yes. Now I can't vouch though because I haven't seen them for Steven's departure, Vicky's departure, Dodo's departure, or Ben and Polly. Pa- Actually, Dodo just disappears. Oh, I did see Dodo's departure. Never mind. Dodo just doesn't come back. Okay, so Stephen, yeah. Vicky, or Ben and Polly, I can't vouch for their departures. Are there? Are any of their sad?
1: Vicky's is kind of sad. I mean, Vicky stays behind because she falls in love with this guy from Troy. Right. And there is a little bit of sadness, but I think it's more. There's not this whole layer of uh, loving affection. It's like she's sad to be leaving the doctor and Stephen, but she's leaving them to embrace this new love. So it's kind of a bittersweet thing. At, at least I feel like that.
0: So more like a more like a Leela departure where it's like, oh, sad. Sorry to see you go, but go have a good time. Is that?
1: Yeah, that's, okay. that's the way I feel about that. And then Stephen. I don't know. I kind of feel like, you know, Stephen was very frustrated with the Doctor. Like, he tried to leave, and then Dodo kind of ruined him leaving because he was so frustrated. And then, I don't know, I kind of feel like the Doctor maneuvered Stephen into leaving and staying behind to help run that planet. Because he's mm. like, oh, okay, well, I guess I'll do this because the Doctor kind of suggested they need someone. And I guess I could be that someone. I don't know. I I, I would need to go back and rewatch that again. But that that was my initial feeling about that. And okay. then, like you said, Dodo... It always bothered me. Like, Dodo doesn't even get to say goodbye. She gets mind-zonked by a computer, and then it's like, oh... She's gone for two episodes, and then she sends a note with uh, Ben and Polly, and it's like, oh, Dodo says to tell you goodbye, goodbye forever. She's living on a farm now, and she's super happy. I'm like, you're kidding me. She doesn't even get to come back and wave at the TARDIS or anything? Like, they couldn't bring the actress back just to say goodbye or anything? I'm like, oh, man, that's such a bummer.
0: She went to live on a farm. That's such a BS run-over <laughs> story. So so I think then, from what I'm hearing, I, I – I, again, I'm going to you know, support my own theory with what you said. Then it sounds to me like this is the first farewell that was intended in filmed specifically to pull on the heartstrings. I feel like, cause I always yeah. thought, I always thought it was Joe Grant's. I always thought Joe Grant's departure was the first one to really get you a, a, in the heart. But I think this one is, so I like it. And you know, it's interesting. Companions leave all the time, right? Like you just, the ones you just mentioned because they're in love with somebody or an alien world, whatever. But it's funny how it just feels differently when they're dropping somebody off in the modern era. Cause like, you know, when they drop them off on Planet X to go lead a revolution, you're like, okay, cool, have fun. When they drop them off here, you're like, well, you don't have a driver's license, and you don't have a birth. Like, we're too busy caught up in the minutia of our world to really. So when Vicky or Victoria gets dropped off here, it is sort of like, huh, how's that going to work?
1: I did think about that. Uh, I'm like, okay, it's nice that she. She's so distraught over seeing all the violence and going to all these scary places. She's getting a nice place to stay. It, it seems like that family is going to be nice to her and everything. They they hold hands at the yeah, end. Yeah. But I was like, well, she doesn't have a birth certificate, and <laughs> how's she going to get a job. She doesn't have a social security number. I assume they have social security numbers over there and you something something equivalent, yeah. Well, I'm just like, how is, how does that work?
0: I don't know. <laughs> so one of the interesting things about this story, too, is like uh, the script originally got rejected uh, at one point, I guess. And, and they said it felt like the story was too typical of Doctor Who. Like it just took a, like a greatest hits of Doctor Who things like Base Under Siege, you know, Alien Monster. You, you use technology to stop all these things. But I, you know what? I don't care. Maybe, maybe it is the greatest hits of all the Doctor Who, but it just works. It's such an enjoyable story. I love the base underseas concept. I love when you get to know the big boss, you know, at the at the base and whether they're the doctor's friend or their nut job. In this case, he's a nut job, who, by the way, is drawn to look just like Jack Kirby, I think. I couldn't, I couldn't unsee uh, Chief Robinson as Jack Kirby. That was just me. You're not feeling that?
1: I do now that you mentioned it. I didn't, not at the time, no. But yeah, like that. That guy, he's something to watch. It's a shame that his his performance is missing because he, I don't know, man. He's really great. I, I love how you get the sense of so much tension before things start to go awry. Like, this guy is so... He's seriously
0: wound. He is seriously wound.
1: He's he's wound really tight. You know what he's like? You know what he reminds me of? Hmm. I used to have this friend. He was wound a little tight, even as a little kid. Whenever we played Dungeons & Dragons, he was always our dungeon master. And if you went off his carefully drawn script or map or anything, it drove him crazy. He was one of those guys. Like, if you you wanted to throw a monkey wrench into his plans, it's like, okay, this guy at the bar, well, I'm going to kill him. You roll, oh, my God, you killed this guy. How could you do that? This guy was going to set up your whole quest. You just killed the guy that was going to set you up on your quest. He would be infuriated. And later in life, for a while, a very short while, he was my boss when I worked for and Radio, and he was—he reminded me so much of this Robson character. He was—he was wound very tight. He was very strict. You couldn't get away with anything, not a snide comment, even though we'd known each other since kindergarten. He mm. didn't tolerate any of that. If he thought someone was trying to undermine his authority, or if if he thought they went over him to his boss and said something, that ate him up aside. side. So when I was watching this, I'm like, yeah, that reminds me of my old buddy. And then he just eventually goes... Completely bonkers because of the seaweed. Right. And the transformation in his performance from being wound tight to losing his mind and screaming and yelling and ranting that people are trying to get rid of him to just being this mind-zonked, almost zombie kind of thing that's covered in seaweed, and he looks... I mean, in the animation, it looks like he's got, you know, the, like, pale makeup and, I don't know, liver spots on his face or whatever. Mm -hmm. I'm just like, man, that's such a good transformation. Like, it's weird to say, but in the animation, he really sells it. I don't know how it comes across in the the reconstruction, because, like I said, it's been a long time since I watched that.
0: You know, and that's... uh, We can talk a little bit about the differences in animation versus the original. So, like, the telesnaps, I pulled a couple to look at, like, what it... like with this guy Robinson when he's being controlled by the seaweed versus the way it was in the animation. I dropped a couple of pictures for you and I, but like in the original, he's just covered in like some bubbles, like foam, like yeah. so, somebody ran the dishwasher a little too hard, a little too much soap and he's playing in it. And then in the animation, I mean, he's got seaweed coming off. He looks like he came out of like one of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. He looks, he looks great. So this is one of those instances where the animation actually really makes it work a little bit better. And then the other one is when the seaweed creature, who's, who's not really supposed to be humanoid at all, it's just supposed to be this seaweed creature, is going through the hallways. Uh, in the original, it's pretty much a dude covered in, you know, fake seaweed and covered in foam walking down a hallway. Uh, but then in the animation, they've got multiple ones, and you can see the creature, and they don't look humanoid, and they kind of walk on seaweed, and they're a lot creepier. So again, it's an instance where, you know, the animation gives them a chance to really kind of make these guys a lot scarier. So, since we're talking about the weed, I got a question for you here. So, it's a point to ponder. First off, they never identify whether the weed is alien or terrestrial. And I, Mm -hmm. I, I looked it up. A lot of people debate this thing. There's nothing to say it's alien. So if the, if this weed, which by the way, the way it works is it feeds on natural gas and it allows it to create this foam and it can sting humans and mentally control them. And the more humans they control, the more intelligent it actually becomes. The weed actually feeds on human intelligence. It's kind of interesting. And it's, and they identify it's been around since at least the 18th century. So it's been around a long time. So if this is terrestrial, like indigenous to earth, Was the doctor fair to them? Because, like, think about the third doctor, you know, uh, John Pertwee, how he reacts to the Silurians, you know, the the lizard people who used to be in control of Earth. He's all defending them. I mean, he still battles them to save humans, but he defends their right to be there. And that the second doctor's like, dude, let's kill the seaweed, like, right now. So do you think that's a little conflict of interest?
1: Maybe. I don't know. I mean this was something I wanted to ask you because you're way more in the minutiae. Like, has this seaweed ever come back in a book, audio book, a comic book, or anything, ever?
0: Near as I can tell it hasn't. It's been referenced a lot, because I I looked that up. Like, they do reference it in various books. The Doctor refers to the seaweed, or someone mentions seaweed, or whatever. But near as I can tell, and again, someone's probably going to go, oh no, there was a Doctor Who magazine issue 242, eight-page comic strip, you know what? Okay, cool. Thanks. Um, But they, they haven't Really come back in a major way, which is interesting because it seems like a no brainer to me to tie mm-hmm. them to the crinoids, which were the plant creature that Tom Baker fought in Sea of Doom. Because, like, there's a lot of similarities there. You know, it's it's a plant creature, it grows, it takes over, it, you know, absorbs humans and things like that. Seems like that would have been an easy, easy thing to thread together. But no, I'm kind of surprised no one's done anything with it. And, and maybe it's because people couldn't watch it till now. That maybe that's part of the reason they didn't come back is because, um, you know, people didn't have the, the reference material.
1: Yeah. As to your question, my uh, interpretation was maybe the seaweed was something that is terrestrial in origin. Like, it does belong on Earth. It's something that maybe this project has disturbed in the very, you know, bottom of the seabed or something. Because, you know, I forget the exact figure, but it's like we've only explored, like, what, 20% of the Earth's ocean? Like, we know more about the surface of Mars than we do what's in the ocean and everything. So I'm like, okay, I could see, like, this – impaler thing or one of those rigs that they're on, one of those platforms. I could see someone like disturbing like the very bottom of the seabed and this, oh, this thing was asleep and then we disturbed it. And now, now it's starting to kind of learn about humans and everything we're doing and the gas and all that nonsense. But is it a bit hypocritical for the second doctor to annihilate them, whereas the third doctor would probably have protected them? I guess it is if you want to like split hairs, but. I don't know. It's it's like the Silurians and or the Sea Devils. You could conceivably negotiate with them, right? But can right. you? Is there going to be any negotiations to be had with the seaweed? Like, they, I mean, they or at least in the animation, like they're kind of taking over people and using them. Right. But there's not a whole lot of communication. Like when Robson is laying in the bed, he's kind of just out of it. And he's just kind of like mumbling and he's not that coherent. So I don't know. It, it would it would have been interesting if they could have tried to like, or, or if they could have tried to communicate with the seaweed while it was possessing someone and maybe tried, at least tried an attempt at reaching a peace settlement or something. But I don't know. That's a good question. Like It's like, is this something that you could communicate with and how would you do it? But I mean, I, I don't know. I guess that kind of sidestepping the thing. It's like, well, it's still a living creature. Like, do you need to communicate with it in order to allow it to live? And then it's like, well, how far, how far can you let them go before you have to like push back against them? I don't know. It's, it's definitely an interesting question. I never thought about it
0: before. Yeah. It's, it's not an easy question to answer. I, yeah. I do think some of it just comes from the time it was made, like in 1968 mm-hmm. versus you, you come, jump forward a few years to like when well, 1970s 71 72 where environmental awareness is becoming a bit more of a thing you know mm-hmm. thinking about indigenous people a little bit more socially conscious in the 70s you know if this had been done in the 70s with john Purley, there probably would have been a scene about like no we can reach a peace accord, and then they still have to kill him but uh yeah yeah it's just something that was kind of rattling in my head there's another interesting thing, too, that, and this comes from research. It's not like I knew this fact, but, like, uh, the guy who wrote this originally wrote this essentially the same story for radio. It was called The Slide, and rather than being intelligent seaweed, it was intelligent mud, okay? And and there's not a lot of worthwhile talk, about the interesting fact is there was, it wasn't a Doctor Who story. It was just some other story, and the lead character was a guy named Josef Gomez in the story, who essentially was kind of taking the role of the Doctor, but on radio, do you know who played that character?
1: No, but uh, you're going to tell me, right?
0: Roger Delgado. Oh really? The guy who goes on to play the first master played oh. essentially the role of the doctor in this and basically the kind of the same story. So that's that's a really cool fun fact. That is. so. Other stuff that just kind of stuck out of me. I love that the doctor saves the day, right? And he stays around. Like normally, yeah, he he slips out the door. This time, he's like, "Hey, I'm going to stay till tomorrow." You know, Victoria, you think about this. We're going to stay and have wine and dinner, and this is going to be great. We're going to have all the all the domestics that Eccleston doesn't want anything to do with. Patrick Trouton's up in that man.
1: <laughs> Yeah, I noticed that. I was like, oh, wow. Like, he even stayed for supper. And, you know, everyone everyone except Victoria seems to be having a lovely time. Like, she's still upset. But I'm like, wow, he didn't just skedaddle. Like, usually, like in a moon base, you know, he's kind of like, let's go. Let's, right. let's not stick around. They're out of there. They're gone.
0: I guess, uh, I guess the the allure of a, a nice meal and wine was too much for him to resist this time. <laughs> <laughs> so, was it just me? Like, every time you hear that, that heartbeat, right? Like, that heartbeat thumping, like, boom, boom, boom. Like, I started going like "Mm, mm, mm, mm." like I'm ready for a dance mix like "Mm, mm, mm, mm." I feel like that was starting on 90s dance beat going on maybe just me
1: (laughs) Uh, that's just gonna be you that's fair
0: that makes a lot more sense so alright a couple things on animation versus the original Uh, I mentioned earlier about the camera Right, the camera work was great two things specifically there was two characters that got very very ill because they were infected by the seaweed one's named Maggie one's named Robison and they really purposely like made the camera just sway, almost like a drunken kind of sway, and the colors would change, and it was very creepy, and it really gave you the feeling of being uneasy, of being queasy. And I was like, dang, I, that's probably better than it was in the original. That's awesome. That is really well done. I love that aspect. I don't know if you picked up on that or not.
1: I did. I also wondered, like, how they, or even if they did try to do that in the reconstruction. Like I said, I didn't have time to go back and peruse it, but I was like, oh, I wonder, I wonder if they attempted that at all in the reconstruction, or if it's a product of just the animation. Hmm.
0: Yeah, it's a good question. And then there's some fun Easter eggs in here. Uh, I, one of them was pretty blatant because they showed it several times. Yeah. So, well, what was? It? Go ahead and say what it was.
1: Wanted the master. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Big old picture of Roger Delgado's master from the John Pertwee era on the wall, wanted poster. In two different locations, too, by the way. One was in Mm. the checkpoint box, and then the other's in the impeller room. And I I believe that actually started, I, I was reading about it the other day, it started in the faceless ones. They animated that one, I think, before this one, if I remember right. And so the faceless ones use that first, and then uh, they they like in a post office or something something like that. I don't know.
1: I believe it's at the airport. When they're at the airport, you see the poster.
0: There you go. And so it's just a fun thing to have because at this point they're actually in the future. They're not in 1968. They're in 1975. Uh, they even show a calendar on the wall, and that's a, that's another a- addition, by the way, from animation it was a calendar. Gary Russell said, "Yeah, they 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 nailed the story down for 1975." So by that point, the master had already come to Earth. It was causing trouble, so even though it was in the Doctor's future, it was not in Earth's future, which worked out well. And then there's one other thing, and I, I can't figure this out. I, I feel like it's an Easter egg, but I don't know for sure. They, they show several close-ups of a loudspeaker, like when they're announcing stuff over like an intercom kind of system. And on the giant loudspeaker speaker, it says the letters I-E, but then it says Be Like Us. I'm like, okay, that's a Cyberman line, you know. You will be like us, or whatever. But I can't. It's got to be any like. Why else would they print that on the on the on the or whatever? That's got to be some kind of Easter egg. I.e., be like us.
1: Oh, what's the name of that company in the invasion? International Electromatics or something.
0: Boom! There it is. Maybe That's a reference. There it is. That's got to be it. Well done, sir. I knew I could count on you. So, all right, so uh, we've been talking about these animations, right, and all these things. So if you had to rank Fury of the Deep compared to the other animations from the second Doctor, where would you drop it? You know, we're talking about Power of the Daleks, Moonbase, Macra Terror, Faceless Ones, Evil of the Daleks, Abominable Snowman, Ice Wars, Web of Fear, Invasion, and then uh, Underwater Menace, by the way, is about to be released, like, any day now. Uh, I, you know, I, we won't get it over here in the States for a little while. But either way, what, uh, if you ranked Fury of the Deep compared to those other ones, where would you drop it?
1: it would be near the top like i for me i think the the very tip top is the invasion and followed by that would probably be the Moonbase. I do back you up. I like the Moonbase quite a bit. After that, um, probably Evil of the Daleks, and then Faceless Ones, and Mocker And then all the rest are kind of like jockeying for position.
0: Okay. Alright. I, I agree. Invasion's the best. And, and again, that's that Cyberman episode we talked about earlier. And the whole reason that one's the best is they hired a completely different animation team and they went all out. I mean, they really animated the hell out of that I think it's moody, yeah. it's real animation, it's great, and then they realized they couldn't afford it. So, that's why we only get that one. Uh, I would actually put this one second, below Invasion. I I think this one's the second best one. I mean, I was totally invested in this. I enjoyed it the whole way through. I've watched... um, I haven't haven't seen Phaseless Ones or Ice Warriors, but I've seen the rest of them, uh, and, and... I just was really into this one, and maybe it's the color that helps watching in color. Some of those other ones are black and white. You know, beneath that, I would say like Web of Fear. It's only one episode, but it's really, really good too. Um, but yeah, I think I think this is right at the top beneath Invasion. I, I loved it. Okay. So uh, end of the day, I think Fury from the Deep is an absolute win, uh, folks. You can find it on DVD. Uh, I I just bought it off Amazon. Like I just went to Amazon, bought it on streaming. I don't know, 11, 12 bucks. I don't remember what it was, and watched all six parts. Uh, like I said, only fell asleep twice, and uh, it's re- <laughs> it's quite an endorsement, right? Uh, it's really really enjoyable though. So, folks, remember go out to the comments. We want to hear your thoughts on this thing. We want to hear. You know, other animations you may have watched, your favorite Doctor, anything I like about Troughton. I mean, you know, if you don't know it, folks, if you're just a New Who fan, Matt Smith watched a Patrick Troughton episode in preparation for his becoming Doctor Who. And he goes, that guy, that's who's going to be the start of my, that's what the start of what I'm going to base my performance on was Patrick Troughton. And so if you like Matt Smith, you're probably going to like Patrick Troughton as well. Well, Justin, I just want to say thank you so much for being on this episode and help me celebrate Doctor Who in this awesome sixtieth anniversary month because I classic Who makes brings me so much ridiculous joy i mean i'm I am sitting here surrounded by three bookcases full. Of Doctor Who novels, you know, big finish audios, role playing games, comic books, magazines. I mean just a ridiculous amount of Doctor Who stuff. And outside of my friends on the internet like you, and I when I say friends for you, that's like totally air quotes. But anyway, um I, I don't I don't know a lot of people in real life to talk about Doctor Who. So it's always awesome to find someone. So t- first off, thank you for being here.
1: Well, thanks for having me. And to be perfectly honest, you're kind of brave for taking me on your show because Derek is the ambassador for the fanholes. He's the one who goes out. He's always doing the guest appearances. It's very rare for me to venture outside the fanholes. One of the reasons is because whenever I show up on another podcast, that show ends up folding within a year. Oh, and, no! <laughs> and not only that, at this point, I have a 100% kill rate.
0: Oh, my God.
1: So, if this show, if What's Upon a Geek shuts down within a year, for whatever reason, it doesn't matter. You can blame me. I'll take the blame. It's fine. And I'll keep my 100% kill rate record.
0: When you say kill rate, you mean the show, not the host, right?
1: Yes, yeah, the shows. The shows, Oof. they're dead. They don't okay. want All
0: right. I thought you meant the host died. That's a whole different <laughs> no. thing. Okay. No. I was going to have to go tell my wife, like, honey, I just screwed up really bad. I'm sorry. <laughs> Well, I have every plan to keep Once Upon a Geek going because it allows me to talk about whatever I want to talk about every month, and uh, that just brings me a lot of joy. So, hey, I'm glad you came here. Derek is an awesome ambassador. He's already been on the show talking about V, so it was about time I had you on the show, and I'm glad you did. So where can people find you if they, for whatever stupid reason, would want to hear more of you?
1: If you'd like to hear more of my adventures, you can find me on Fanhold's podcast where we discuss various topics such as comic books, Transformers, and Shag's favorite, anime, and various other topics. And like I said <laughs> earlier, you can find us on most major podcasting platforms. Not all of them, but I'm not going to get into all that because that's a whole thing.
0: <laughs> and I've been on a few Fan Holes episodes talking about like Transformers and talking about Thunderbolts, things like that. So it's a great show, great folks over there. And I'm just thrilled you're here. And folks, remember, go over to the Fan Holes Network as we get closer to November 23rd, the anniversary. You can listen to us talk about the Abominable Snowman animated uh, episode. Again, it takes place timey-wimey, out of order. We recorded that first, then this one, but either way, you're a fan of Doctor Who. You can get it. You'll enjoy it. So, that's it. Thanks again, Justin. I sincerely appreciate you being here. Thanks for having me. Alright, folks, now come back next time when we cover another topic that brings us joy. And what will that topic be? Sorry, folks. You're just going to have to wait and find out
1: next episode.
0: Thanks for listening everyone. Until next time, I'm Shag.
1: And I'm Justin.
0: And remember, life is short. Focus on the positive.
1: Find your joy.